Welcome to the Marvel Evolution Show with myself, Andy Stead. And I'm Jarian Gibson. I'm Alex Stroud. We are being welcomed and joined today uh, by Matt and Steve Bird from the Marvel Reread podcast. How are you, uh, Steve? First of all, how are you, Steve? Uh, I'm doing pretty well today. Thank you very much. No problem. And Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Superb, superb. So we're going to get chatting to you guys very, very shortly and about what you do and why we invited you on and your great podcast and the, 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 your, your sort of love and passion for comics and Marvel stuff. Um, but before we get started, Jarian, how are you, my friend? Doing good. Uh, happy to be back for another week. You know, we had a fun chat last week about Quantumania and happy to talk to, to Matt and Steve this week. Yeah, that, that Quantum Mania discussion was really cool and it's kicked off some really great stuff in the group. There's been some really great theories about, you know, things like, um, you know, Young Avengers and the Quantum Realm and uh, incursions and all sorts of different things have been have been uh, floating around the group this week. And uh, the, I think, you know, I think somebody said it, one of us quoted it, it was a great way to kick off Phase 5. Um, so yeah, that was a great conversation. Alex, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I'm also been like reminiscing about quantum mania all week, you know, I've um, been thinking about that movie a lot. Um, it's definitely set off like a lot of good discussions, like you said, and, you know, um, definitely been making me rethink how I thought the path of phase five might go. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I exactly actually the same, you know, you sort of thought, you think you have an idea of what's going to happen. And then obviously you then see a project and then you're like, okay, maybe that's not what it is and now we're thinking it's going to be something completely different so yeah that's been really great um so guys uh, as always if you're watching if you're listening uh, live please drop us a comment and say hello remember chuck your initials on the end of any comments just to make sure that we know who you are and if you've got any questions for for myself Jaren, or alex as normal then please drop them in or if you've got anything for steve and matt as we go through today's show please drop them a question as well and they'll do their best to answer it as well so uh, without any further ado uh, we've got like i said we've got steve and matt from the marvel reread podcast i came across these guys in a, another group and uh, I, I checked out their podcast and it's listened to a little bit of what they were doing and reached out to them and said look we'd love to have you on and to talk about marvel comics and what you do and and where you're at so uh, guys it's great to have you on i mean who wants to sort of introduce the two of you and what you do? Uh, well, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself and I'll introduce me. Okay, everybody. Hi, my name's Matt. Uh, I am longtime Marvel Comics uh, fan and uh, love you guys' show. I've been, uh, since you guys have invited us on, I've been listening to your episodes. I made sure, I realize we're not going to talk about modern day stuff today, but uh, I went ahead, I made sure I had seen Quantumania in case it came up and I really enjoyed hey. it. And uh, was expecting very, very little because of the reviews, but I was very pleasantly surprised. I disagree with the reviews. I like that movie a lot. I have, I am the author of several books, uh, including The Secrets of Story and The Secrets of Character. I also have a podcast called The Secrets of Story Podcast, but I decided I wanted to be a two-podcast dude. Uh, so <laughs> I went ahead and started a second podcast with my brother Steve to talk about the early days of Marvel Comics. So that is Steve. Steve, yes. introduce yourself. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Steve Bird. Uh, I have worked in the comics industry before. I, I have um, I started inking for the big guys uh, starting around 
99 or 2000. And I guess it was around 2000. And uh, so I've mainly done work for the so-called distinguished competition, <laughs> but, uh, uh, rather than Marvel. But uh, so I've done that. I also am self-employed in several different careers at once. Uh, I run a laser department at a, a makerspace. I teach software. I do all sorts of stuff. But um, both Matt and I had started uh, independently going back and reading uh, the old Silver Age of Marvel comics from issue one in order. Uh, and so since we've both been doing it for a while, we both decided to go back and start over again and um, discuss it with ourselves and the world. So so that's that's obviously a huge... How far are you going to go? Are you just going to keep going? I mean, there's obviously millions <laughs> of issues. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the thing is, when we, when we start getting more than eight... I mean, we're going to start getting more than eight issues a month soon. So mm -hmm. when we went up to eight issues a month, we started having to break each month into two. So Lord only knows, especially since I've never been diagnosed as such, but I am probably pretty severely dyslexic. And so, uh, you know, I'm not the fastest reader. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how far we're going to go. We're just having fun with it. Yeah. yeah got, no. exactly. got, Sorry, Matt. Guy, for it. So they go up. They're going to stay at eight superhero books a month from we're currently on March 1965, and I think it goes up until about March 1968 or so when they go up to more than eight superhero books a month. So we've got a long time to go, and you know we've got that that uh, iceberg waiting for us in the future. <laughs> but uh, we're yeah, we I, continue to plow ahead for another couple of years before we get I, there. I thought it went up to ten books by '66, but we'll we'll see. We're you know I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so a question I've been dying to ask: What was the what was the driver for this for this idea for the, this reread idea? I mean, this is huge, huge undertaking. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, you eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? So, uh, you know, if you go and say, "I am going to read every Marvel comic in order from you know November 1961 through to the present day," yeah, that's going to be overwhelming. But as it is, it's just like, oh, let me just go back and see what it was like in those first, you know, couple of years. And let's just see what it would have been like to be a kid just picking this stuff up off the uh, newsstand and seeing this stuff in the context and the order in which uh, it originally appeared. Um, and I've always been somebody who likes to go back to the original source. I remember when the movie Lost Boys came out, and I'm dating myself, that was when I was in high school, um, that, uh, you know, they had a cover of People Are Strange that was performed by Echo and the Funny Men. That was with a, like one of the main uh, songs in that. And after that, uh, a friend of mine, well, you know, I said, oh, well, I should go back and get familiar with the Doors who originally recorded this song. And then another friend of mine is like, Dude, I went out and got into Echo and the Bunny Men. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's that's always been me to some extent. Yeah, so. I mean, it's fine. We talked about doing just like an MCU podcast because we're also big MCU fans, and then we're like, yeah, but we're just like MCU, you know, geeks, and we could just geek out over the MCU and how much we love it. But we thought the fun thing about doing the early days of Marvel Comics is that we love it, but it's also not entirely great and we thought that would be a more fun podcast to um to you know talk about how much we love it and we love these comics but we also wanted to talk about how silly the comics are and uh you know and get uh get some fun out of it and yeah sure yeah so, and, 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 as, and as i've said how uneven it is how you know there really is some bad stuff in those early days but they just throw enough stuff at the wall 
and then just whatever sticks they keep on moving towards that and uh that's part of the beauty of it really because if you started out saying i'm gonna start creating the internet the intellectual property that will end up supporting billion dollar movies in 60 years again you eat the elephant one bite at a time you don't do that right and so so you know the fact that there was no I mean, this was low stakes stuff for them. And that's one of the reasons why it was able to grow into what it was. Yeah, sure. We've got a couple of people listening live. I think that's uh, that's Sebastian. How are you doing, Sebastian? I, think, I know we've got RMC on there as well. Um, and there is a little comment that's just dropped in there. Yeah, let me put this up here on the screen. I would dare say there's less people doing what you guys are doing. Also, I think it's great. So yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> yeah. going to say. I know Matt said there about an MCU podcast, and uh, you know, here you are on a on a. I would say we're a predominantly MCU podcast. We do talk about lots of different things. We talk about DC and Star Wars and the boys and all, all sorts of different bits, and not only the MCU part of Marvel as well. You know, we talk about comics and collectibles and cartoons. We've just done two or three episodes recently on on just cartoons. Um, but the point is, he's, I absolutely agree with that person there. What what they said is that. I don't imagine there's many people doing what you're doing. You know, I don't yeah, imagine there's, there's many people going back. There's two others, there's, at least. There's a couple <laughs> others. And we did not, you know, it's very, there are so many podcasts out there. And we tried to Google around to see if anybody else was doing it. And we couldn't find any evidence they were. It turns out there are. There's a podcast that is quite successful called Marvel by the Month that does the exact same thing we do. But we have differentiated ourselves from them by going a little more in depth. They do. Um, they, they just devote one minute to most of the issues that they cover. And they have right. a little shot clock where they're like, okay, you know, we've already spent more than a minute discussing this issue. Now we have to move on. And we devote about 15 minutes to every issue. So that's, uh, so are we, um, yes, <laughs> it does let us, I just saw it on the chat, it says it must let you really appreciate the great issues when they come along. That is so true. <laughs> when we get to a really great issue, we had probably, if you guys want to check out the show and you're like, well, I'm not sure I want to listen to all 52 episodes of the show, then if I would say just the one episode you should listen to, and oh, I should look up what number episode it is. I think it was episode number 48 or so, but if- Oh, is this the I'll annual issue? This. Is this the yeah, annual the, episode? The episode that we did with Steve Bunch was our guest, who was an old Marvel insider, and he, um, and DC insider, and he, we had him on not to talk about the regular monthly Marvel comics, we had him on to talk about the two annuals from 1964, which wow. was uh, doc, which was Fantastic Four annual number two with the origin of Doctor Doom and Spider-Man annual number one introducing the Sinister Six, and that is our best episode. And it uh, and that, but to talk about, but in response to the Twitter thing, Mike, you must be so happy when you get to the really good issues. Yes, that is so true. And like to get to that episode with two of the all-time great Marvel comics that we got to discuss in one episode, I was so glad that we had had our guest on for that episode. We recently had a guest, Rob Salkowitz, who is um, the comics editor for Forbes magazine. And we had him on just to discuss a random month. And it turned out to be like a horrible month. He was, <laughs> he, was like, he was like, well, I figured at least the Dicko, the Lee Dicko Spider-Man book would be good. No, it's one of the only bad Lee Dicko Spider-Man stories. And uh, <laughs> they, they, was, they, not a lot of them exist, I should imagine. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah, and yeah, it, it just happened to be that like pretty much every, you know, almost every book had a low point. Well, either that or at least one of us disliked it. I actually really liked Fantastic Four that month, but uh, but um, Rob didn't. 
<laughs> I was saying, uh, yeah. I was saying a little while ago, wasn't I to you guys? I think this was this was maybe last year. Fantastic Four has always been something that I've struggled to get into myself, especially mm-hmm. the older stuff. And you know, looking at looking at and listening to some of the stuff that you guys have been uh, uh, putting up, it, you know, and you, like you said, it's a bit silly, isn't it? Some of it is silly, it's, and it's just. It's like not, when they had to hitchhike across the country to go and make a movie for the Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they come up with these ideas? These, guys? but then again, it was the it was the sixties. So yeah. you know, um, but yeah, yeah you know, it was yeah. episode forty three. If you just check out one episode of the show, November two thousand twenty two, episode forty three is the best intro to our show because we're just talking about two really great comics with a really great guest. But uh, but if you want to go hardcore, then listen to. You got it. You know, I, I listen to podcasts from the beginning. You know, I'm a, I, I discover a new podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to all 53 hours of this from the beginning. So, you know, that's me. So we've, I've recently, my children are now, they're, they're a little bit older now. They're in their teens and they're starting, you know, both boys, they're both a little bit silly and, you know, teenage boys, you know, what teenage boys can be like. So they've started getting in, they started getting into South Park and picking up bits of South Park. And then the other day they said, should we watch it from the beginning? And I was like, there's 24 seasons of this thing that date back to like the mid nineties. It's going to take forever. And funnily enough, we actually just started it tonight. I mean, watched a couple of funny episodes that I remember picking up up and up on, on the past. Um, and, and tonight we watched the first two episodes and they watched it and they were like, what's this? Like, I mean, it's recognizable because the characters are the same, but it's so different from <laughs> from what South Park is. I mean, even what it was 10 years ago, it's so, so, completely so funny, different. Funny thing, we are, uh, I've, my family has tickets to go see the touring show of Book of Mormon tonight. Uh, and I'm going to be doing that right after we get off of this. And uh, so to prepare uh, my daughter for this, we went ahead and pulled up the South Park Mormon episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, my all-time favorite episode of that show. <laughs> yes, quite good. So, so from the chat here, we have someone doing the same thing with the rewatch, and they're currently on season twenty-six of Whoa. South Park. Season twenty-six of South Park. That's like, that, that's that's nearly up to date, isn't it? I think it's season twenty-eight or something at the moment. I'm not sure, but wow. yeah, that's a that's a big undertaking. However, they're only twenty-two minutes long. We worked out that it would take if you watched it flat out, it would take you about four and a half days, just flat out for four and a half days, just South Park four and a half days. That's got to be some sort of world record. Um, but anyway, bring it back to the Marvel comics and bring it back to something, and uh, you know, we can laugh and joke all day, but something that we've often talked about is how unrelatable the those early days comics are to, to now and how a lot of those stories, like can we even translate, so let's say the MCU, for example, can we translate those stories into, yeah. into oh, the modern 100%. world? That's one of the things that we keep on running into is the things that are that are taken the threads that are taken from these early issues and woven into the marvel comics universe one thing that i I didn't even realize when i first read it but then when matt and i were discussing it on the uh on the podcast i suddenly realized that uh the episode with um i think it was the one with the origin of the mandarin or maybe it was the one that led up to the origin of the mandarin but one way or the other they took basically that issue and that was the first act of iron man 3 i mean pretty much straight up uh and there are a lot of different things like that if you are a good enough writer you can take some of this stuff just seems so out of touch with today's reality and you know just take a different twist on it and you can uh really make it new and make it real 
I mean, I think that Stan Lee is one of the all-time great writers, and I think that Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko are also two of the all-time great writers and two of the all-time great artists. And I, it's amazing how often they take stuff whole hog. Like, I mean, well, Iron Man was was Stanley and Don Heck, and the first Iron Man movie, or at least the first 45 minutes of the first Iron Man movie are just exactly beat for beat the first issue of Iron Man. It is, they had to change very, very little. The Doctor Strange movie is just exactly the origin issue of Doctor Strange, which was, I think, the fourth appearance of Doctor Strange. And it is, they are just, you know, it's amazing how much of, especially phases one through three of the MCU, were taken very, very faithfully from Stan, Jack, Steve, Don, comics. You can show off your shirt there, Steve. You can stay up and show off your shirt. <laughs> ah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that is a great shirt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I actually designed it. I put it up on T-Fury. <laughs> no, not T-Fury. What is it? Um, uh, uh, Redbubble. Redbubble. So, and, yes, uh, but it's amazing just they were creating this IP that, as Steve was saying, they were not trying to create billion-dollar IP. They were, you know, every, it's funny. Every time they'll have an issue where they're like, hey, every, hey, you know, Marvel fans, you know, this is, you're going to want to buy two copies of this issue because it's going to be legendary and they're still going to be talking about it six years from now. And, you know, and they were just, they were just taking the piss. You know, they, <laughs> they thought, like, we're just kidding. You're going to throw this out. Obviously, everybody just throw this issue away. You know, we're we're all going to lose our jobs in a couple months and this is all going to be over. And they had no idea that it's like every single time they lie. Well, that's not true. Almost every single time when they would lie and say, hey, kids, buy two copies. This is going to be a major issue. It would turn out to be true. Like even when they're like, hey, kids, major issue. We introduced Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan. Like Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan are like billion dollar IP right now. That's that's John Favreau and Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, these are these are people with... Uh, with um these are major movie stars and then you know but i'm sure at the time they were just kidding when they said this is gonna be a major issue because it introduces happy hogan and pepper Potts. but then occasionally you will get an issue where they're like hey you know everybody this is a massive issue the porcupine is introduced although <laughs> i was happy to see i finally finished she hulk last week <laughs> yeah and i was very happy to see the porcupine show up in she hulk uh with a very comics accurate costume Yes, <laughs> um, completely different personality and power set and everything, but very visually accurate. <laughs> they, they were there. Do you, do you think that sometimes though them saying about that picking up two issues? Do you think it was it that was just good marketing? You know, then people would pick up two issues because they thought that this was going to be the thing. Maybe I, mean, I, I don't know how much. I, I don't remember how much. I don't remember seeing very much saying, "Hey, buy two issues." Now, granted, you're reading scans where you might be seeing more of the marketing stuff and the letters pages and stuff than I am. But, yeah. um, I mean, I think it's largely just, you know, Stan Lee developing his kind of carnival barker, larger-than-life personality and trying to create this whole idea of this as being this kind of special clubhouse that everyone belongs to. And it's just, you know, it's just part of the personality that he was bringing to things, this bigger-than-life personality. And, uh, you know, part of that is, hey, these comics are bigger than life. These stories are bigger than life. These artists are bigger than life. These issues are bigger than life. And, uh, you know, he, you know, faked it till he made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's exactly it. It's the, um, uh, the, the, 
law of attraction, isn't it? You know, th this is going to be huge. I'm, get, you know, you're going to want to keep two of these because this is going to be the best thing you've ever read in your life. And then people go, oh, okay. And then they just kind of do it and, and fake it till you make it. I, I agree. I remember watching a documentary on the um, early days of computer gaming. So in the sort of late seventies, early eighties, like with Atari and companies like that. And they were kind of, it sounded, you know, what you was just saying, uh, Matt there, that they were just kind of dicking around, you know, Stan and Steve, and they were just having a, you know, and Jack were just having a bit of a laugh together as, as guys. And it sounds very much like that's what they, that's what they was doing in this documentary that I was watching about, um, computer gaming. You know, they were just, they were just having a great time and, you know, making this great stuff. And they, they kind of never knew it was going to blow up into this sort of computer game industry. Um, but yeah, I, I think, again, just do what you love at the end of yeah. the day. Well, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, to some extent, these guys didn't necessarily love what they did at all times. I mean, you know, there's the legendary and probably at least partially apocryphal story about, you know, that Stan Lee was just finally sick of, you know, working for his uncle or whatever it was and you know editing comics which was this very low prestige embarrassing kind of uh job and he was like i was gonna be a great novel writer you know it's like i need to just get out of here and do what i'm gonna do and you know his wife's prepared you know once again the way the story goes his wife said well you know what why don't you just try doing one of these the way you want to do it rather than you know how you're told or how the formula says to do it and that was fantastic for number one, and everything took off from there. Uh, who knows how much that is true, and also who knows how much Jack Kirby was necessarily in on that attitude from day one, or whether he sort of warmed up to it over time. Um, you know, so you never know. Uh, but you know, what, one of the things I, I've said, once again, in terms of it being, you know, hey, they're just having fun. You know, this was a business, and you had to crank out. 12, it, well, either 12 or 6 issues a year, depending on if it was bi-monthly or monthly, and you had deadlines to meet, and they had to be distributed when they had to be distributed, and if you didn't have them out, that was, you know, you ended up taking a big financial hit from the contract you had. So, they just, you know, they might come up with a fantastic idea and come out with this really great origin issue, or this really great first issue of something, and then it's like, okay, next month, come on, let's go, what are we doing? And <laughs> So it, it's my thesis that most Silver Age second issues are pretty bad. Because <laughs> 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 they haven't really figured out what they're doing this, with, with this thing yet. They just want to, you know, they're just like, well, we got to get something out. So, and then they find their rhythm with it as they go along. Yeah. I like the first year of a lot of these comics is, yeah, there's a lot of aliens, there's a lot of commies, <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, Aliens that turn out to be commies in disguise, commies that turn out to be aliens in disguise. And then and then they start to, you know, they start to break away from that. They start to figure it out a little better. Although it's interesting, you know, you would think that the comic that would be the biggest disaster from early Marvel comics would be the Hulk, because it was the only one that got canceled. They had six issues of the Hulk and then they canceled it after issue six. Well, I love those first six issues of the Hulk, even though they have, you know, commies who turn out to be no, they have aliens who turn out to be commies. They don't have any commies that turn out to be aliens. But they have <laughs> the fascinating thing about those first six issues of the Hulk is everything you know, the thing I always loved about the Hulk growing up with the Mantlo years and the Peter David years 
was that Hulk was always the book that had no status quo that was constantly changing, you know, oh, now the Hulk has Banner's consciousness. Now he's insane. Now he is uh, stuck in a, you know, nexus of other dimensions. Now he is, you know, separated and then he and Banner are different people. And every single thing that ever happened in the history of the Hulk happens in those first six issues of the Hulk. And, you know, they do Planet Hulk. They do, you know, he, you know, he gets, the people of Earth decide to rock him off into space. He does end up as a gladiator, although in a separate storyline, he does, you know, gain Bruce Banner's intelligence. He does do every single thing that ever happened is in those first six issues. And, you know, you were saying, like, did they know, you know, did they know what they were building? I mean, obviously, if they know what they were building, the first thing they would have done is called lawyers. And they would have said, you know, uh, hey, we're creating billion-dollar IP here. They're going to release eight Spider-Man movies, and each one is going to make, like, an average of a billion dollars. Um, so let's get our lawyers on that right now and uh, <laughs> figure out what sort of rights uh, we want to have going forward, which nobody did. And then they, Jack finally called his lawyers in the 80s, and Steve never did. Steve was like, you know, nope, I signed a contract. Ayn Rand says that we have to respect our contracts so therefore i'm not i'm not going to try to renegotiate this jack was like this is crazy we have to renegotiate this um and it didn't you know everything ended up in uh in tears but um but you know obviously if they had any idea how valuable how much value they were creating everything would have gone down very differently and it well, snowballed so quickly recently hasn't it as well you know in the last 10 oh, 15 years it's snowballed astronomically yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the, I mean, but the thing is, if they had gone and called their lawyers and if they had known this was going to turn into billion dollar, you know, multi-billion dollar intellectual property, I don't think it would have turned out as well. Yeah, it might you know, not have I, done it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's a real catch 22 there that the, mm -hmm. I think the only reason it became as great as it is, is because there were no constraints on them, you know, other than the comics code authority. But, you know, it's mm -hmm. just other than that, it's like, this is bottom you know this is this is bottom of the barrel publishing here you know? and, yeah. and we're even a small company a small disreputable company within this you know small disreputable low dollar industry and uh which is one thing that's really been interesting for me to figure out is just how not you know how much of a small fish in the comics pond marvel was back in these classic days uh the you know DC was just crushing them on sales. You know? I mean, they were they were barely ever, you know, other like Fantastic Four and maybe Spider-Man would show up in, you know, the top 15 or 20 books or, or something like that. But other than that, they were all way down the list. And, I mean, I think they were gaining market share the whole time. And yes. so that's where sort of their confidence came from. But yeah, when they originally started talking about how this is the Marvel Age of Comics, that was a joke. <laughs> like, I mean, they were, you know, especially once Batmania started, you know, Batman sales exploded so much that Marvel sales looked really puny by comparison. And then, you know, but eventually Batmania helped Marvel, I think, that, you know, Marvel, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. But that, but yeah, Marvel was not, you know, Marvel was giving the impression that they were dominating, you know, that they were dominating the market much sooner than they actually were. And it was really only when Batmania crashed that suddenly Marvel took the lead in sales, I think, sometime around 1969 or so. Basically, what you... basically the, the, the book The Secret was ripped off from them. 
I was I was gonna ask like what what do you guys think made Marvel different at that time from say DC? Oh, so like, many things. For like thing, what? I'll tell you what the number. Out. I'll tell you what the number one difference between Marvel and DC in the early sixties was. Marvel had credits. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's like people are like, oh, well, these early issues, you know, Stan wasn't giving the artist enough credit. It's like, yeah, Stan wasn't giving the artist enough credit, but he was giving them credit. It's really weird. the The only other Comics Reread podcast I listened to is a Legion of Superheroes Comics Reread podcast I listened to called The Legion Clubhouse, which I really enjoy. But the the crazy thing is like all the Legion of Superheroes didn't start having credits in their issues until the early 70s. So I think that that you read, you know, you read these Marvel comics, first and foremost, they have credits. Second is that they had continuity, which the DC books really did not. So mm -hmm. if like, you know, we're in this weird period right now where Rick Jones is starring in different books in different parts of the country, which is very atypical. Like we're starting with the next episode we're gonna do, they're gonna start telling golden age Captain America stories instead of silver age Captain America stories. And he's doing that partially because it was important to stand that like, I'm gonna have the Avengers not be characters who are in other books because the continuity is too hard to keep track of. And I wanna have everyone in the Avengers be people who aren't appearing in other books or Captain America who was only appearing in golden age stories in his own book, because it's very important to me, except for Rick Jones, who is this bizarre exception, uh, to keep track of the continuity of every character. And every time a character would show up in another book, it would be clear where that appearance happened in that character's other book. And DC was just not doing that. And I think that is, that's where the billion dollars came from. I think that, you know, Kevin Feige would have ultimately take this to an extreme. And Kevin Feige yeah. would go like, I'm gonna take the number one value that Stan Lee created in this universe, and that is strong continuity, and turn it all into one big story. And Kevin Feige is like, Stan Lee did it gradually over the course of the 10 years he was writing the books. I'm gonna do it in, well, I guess it also took him about 10 years, but I'm yeah. gonna do it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, Stan, Stan had his 10 years in charge uh, to create his massive story. I'm gonna take my 10 years from whatever, 2008 to 2018, and I'm gonna create my, turn this whole thing into the massive Infinity Saga of phases one through three. And, uh, and I think that was the heart of, I think that was Stanley's number one innovation that made him different from what they were doing at DC. Mm. Yeah, and and personally, I, I, you know, and people get go back and forth on how whether you know Stanley was a genius or Stanley was a thief or you know somewhere in between. Uh, but I think that one thing Stanley definitely did, and I don't think anyone can argue differently, is that he gave a common thread of, I mean, creative director essentially. So even if you think he didn't really write much of anything except the actual dialogue after it was, you know, after it was done which in some cases you can make that argument, definitely. But um, he was a unifying force behind all this stuff, as opposed to, and they were all in New York. They were all in a real city and all in the same real city, yep. as opposed mm -hmm. to all the DC characters that were all siloed into their own imaginary cities that each had their own imaginary set of villains that rarely would appear anywhere else because they were in different cities. Um, so I, mean, I think that's a huge part of it, too. So catching up here on the chat real quick, um, as a fan of both comics and film, I really appreciate the comic ac accuracy. Obviously things you simply couldn't or shouldn't do, but I enjoy it for the most part. And I think that was more about the porcupine showing up um, <laughs> in, in She-Hulk. 
Um, and then this is spot on here. You mentioned the early days of DC and the early days of Marvel and, you know, Marvel having continuity, DC not. There's a parallel today to the movies, right? Yeah. You know, DCEU um, and uh, MCU, you know, and, and hopefully we'll see the DCEU get things right with the new direction and studio leads and their new roadmap. But they're still playing catch up with what the MCU has done for, you know, starting from 2008. So, well, and so DCU, we had a comment here. DCU can't even, you know, get Captain Marvel together with Black Adam. They're like, they're like somehow we ended up with Captain Marvel and Black Adam movies that are have different ratings that like, you know, basically an R-rated Black Adam movie and a G-rated Shazam movie. And it's like, if you can't even fit Black Adam and Captain Marvel uh, Shazam into the same movie, then uh, you are you are splintered. You have a very splintered. Uh, well, Alex, I think Alex has said that before, haven't you, Alex? You said you said something like that. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's so bothering that you have the first Shazam movie finish, and it's literally like, hey, who's that extra seat for? Exactly. Like, and you're like, oh yeah, we know who that's supposed to be representing. That's supposed to be Black Adam, you know? Like that's supposed to be who that is supposed to be hinting towards. But you know, like nothing, nothing, <laughs> you know. Like, come on. I, yeah, I think the, what, what I quite liked, it, what, just a couple of observations just about what we said. As Jorian said, so many parallels between those early days of Marvel. You said that, it, I think you were saying, Matt, they was using Rick Jones as this kind of glue that was sort of popping up every now, everywhere. And they, they were doing that with a few characters or have been doing that with a few characters in the MCU recently, haven't they? They started off doing that with Coulson or Nick Fury. Um, and we've had, uh, you know, we've had other characters popping up more recently that are, that are that kind of glue type character um but yeah i think that that whole sort of continuity thing is really what's helping marvel now and i think it's been said a, cu a couple of our no more notable members on our group have been saying that marvel's at its best or, or the mcu sorry is at its best when it shows its continuity yeah I honestly feel like DC Comics do this a lot, too, where they just kind of pick and choose things that they want and kind of run with it, you know? And that's kind of... This is, like, an issue with DC across the board. It's not just, like, in one avenue, I would say, almost. Mm. It sounds like they, those things have been bred from the very, very beginning, though. But based on what Matt and Steve have yep. said, the continuity yeah. in Marvel seems to have yeah. been there since those early those early 60s. And that, that sort of separation in DC has been there since since the beginning as well. And it's still you know repeating itself today but the, there was the, just the... a little bit in the early issues like you would have different heroes encounter atlantis and it would be a completely different thing in like three different books so there was just a little sense of beginning like are these going to be in the same universe you know when iron man encounters atlantis is it going to be some errors atlantis or a completely different atlantis and then by the time you're about two years in they're like nope this is all the same we're only going to have one atlantis we're only going to have one thing and it takes them a little while to commit, and then they commit. And it, it does seem like DCEU has gotten that one person who's kind of been across projects, and that's been Amanda Waller. Mm. Other than that, that's kind of it. You know, she showed up in Black Adam, other projects, you know, TV shows. But it seems like that's the only person they're having continuity with is her and nobody else right now. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the, thing, about, the thing about Amanda Waller is, I mean, I, I guess she would be too young, but I'm just thinking someone like... Uh, What's her name? Gabourey Sidibe, or what, what's her name? Yeah. <laughs> you know, should, should should have played her. You know, I'm I, I'm sorry, I, I had her name and then it suddenly flitted out of my head. We, we butcher but, you know, names all the time. It's okay, yeah. right? Um, but you know, it's part of the whole. One of the things I loved about uh, about Amanda Waller when I was growing up reading Suicide Squad, which that was around the time I was gravitating more towards DC stuff, 
was the fact that she was, I mean, she did not look like anybody else in the DC universe that you can see. Not at all. Uh, I mean, she looked like, you know, a lot of the people who, um, you know, a lot of the people who might be in my public school who had, you know, power within that, within that system and might not be paid attention to in everyday life, might not be respected in everyday life, but you know, she's got this presence and within her world, she is not going to let Batman or you know, anybody else uh, take her. So I, I, I am, I mean, you know, uh, the, the actress is playing her, uh, is, um, uh, Angela Bassett or no, who is no, it? No, it's not Angela Bassett. It's, uh, uh, I'm going blank now. Viola Davis. Thank <laughs> Viola, Viola Davis. Thank yes. you. Um, you know, and she does a great job with her, but I mean, I'm sorry. I, I want, I want the wall. You want I mean, you want a superintendent like person like like a school superintendent kind of feel. Well, I mean, what you what you described. I I, I yes, and I also ju I want I want her large. I mean, you know, <laughs> they refer to Amanda Waller as the wall. Yeah, right. True. And it's both her personality and her physical presence. Yeah. Almost like know? a kingpin type character. It, it's yeah. like in the yeah. uh, Justice League animated series, she's built like a linebacker. Like she's yeah. like, you know, she's right. huge. Like she's really broad, like, and she's very threatening. She's got a threatening presence, you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I did ink Amanda Waller once or twice when I was uh, working at DC. I, I did some checkmate stuff and uh, she showed up in a couple. That's cool. That's cool. We we touched on it a minute ago, a little, or a little while ago, uh, beginning of the show, about the um, some of the things that are just silly, but there's also a lot of the things in those older comics that you know we shouldn't really be, you know, they won't translate well these days because of for other reasons. So not just because they're stupid, just because we you know we don't treat women like that anymore we don't you know uh we, we've we know better now and you know we've got better understanding of other cultures and things like that um is it now going back and reading it in rereading as you are um i say knowing what we know now but be, i suppose that is what that is true you know being um, more open-minded now do you think looking back on it it was it was um I don't know. Really, I don't know really where I wanted this conversation to go. But I mean, yes, yes. Anything that you go to, any piece of popular culture you go to, uh, you know, that's usually. I mean, there's a rolling horizon at any given point where you know, probably 20 years before where you are, you're going to start finding some stuff that these days would be thought of as extremely problematic. So yes, going back 60 years or whatever mm. it is now at this point, yeah, you're definitely going to find that there is there are some really racist Asian caricatures that you've got in there. Um, although, um, actually, Mandarin is less racist in his portrayal in the comics than a lot of their generic uh, Asian characters. Still, still kind of racist, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but, uh, but less so. And less so than in a lot of the other comics industry. I mean, I know I was sort of, um, you know, beating this drum a little too much in some of the earlier issues. But, you know, at the same time that uh, the Mandarin was being introduced, you had characters like Chop Chop over in Blackhawk, you know, which is just, the, you know, like the, yeah. the original sort of yellow face caricature of an Asian person. And, um, yeah, so, uh, yes, there's absolutely that stuff there. And even when they're trying to be, you know, kind of progressive with this stuff, whenever you're going out on a limb with that sort of stuff, 
you're on the edge at that point and it is not going to age well. I mean, if yep. things go in the direction that you, as that you know person who's trying to bring things, uh, you know, make culture progress along in a better direction, if it does, then the stuff you've done will almost, by definition, age terribly. <laughs> yeah, I see what but, you're saying. Yeah, but it is shocking how you know you have you know you have almost no black people in the early comics, and then you get Gabe Jones showing up in Sergeant Fury, who is you know in some ways problematic, but not anywhere near as problematic as he could have been. And then, of course, in 1966, you have Black Panther show up and really shockingly unproblematic to the degree to which, you know, the later 2018 Black Panther movie was extremely faithful to the Lee Kirby vision of the character and, you know, incorporated, thankfully, other things that Christopher Priest and Reginald Hudlin had introduced into the character. And, you know, thankfully there had been other black creators who had worked on that character and had added crucial elements to that character that then they could incorporate into the movie. But I would say, you know, there ultimately was more of Lee and Kirby in that movie than there was of Christopher Priest's original Hudlin. I would say that, you know, that they, that they were able to, you know, they were able to look at these comics. So, you know, it's really shocking, but, you know, certainly in terms of treatment of women, you know, the in terms of the women being underpowered and being taken hostage way too much, that's something we really reckon with a lot on our podcast. But also, you know, you have a lot of Reed verbally abusing Sue and Hank verbally abusing Jan. Yep. And to a certain extent, that's fine because it's like, okay, is this supposed to be, I don't think this is being presented as okay, I think that, you know, this is being presented as something that is problematic, that is toxic. This is in mm. many ways an intentional portrait of toxic masculinity in the same way that we would admire today. Like, oh, good, this is a book that is aware of mistreatment of women and is calling it out. The problem is that occasionally you will get points in which Sue or Jan will say things like, oh, you're right. I am a silly little flippity gibbet. I know, I know that what you're saying is right. And it's like, oh, no, don't do it. You know, it's fine. As long as, as long as we're not supposed to agree with Reed and Hank and we're not, you know, it's fine to show them as being toxic and to call it out, but never have Sue or Jan say, oh, that's fine. You're right. Because uh, that, that is terrible. I know that man is right, but I just can't, I just can't admit it to him. There is stuff like that. It, yeah, it's, it, <laughs> I think we certainly with those two characters that you've just said there, and then there's also another one you could probably throw into the mix a little bit later on, and that's Charles Xavier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, um, we, we've set up a running thing of who is the bigger dick, Charles Xavier or, or Reed Richards. Reed Richards, like, yeah. Reed, <laughs> and, and I think we, we've been talking about that over the last sort of couple of years, uh, you know, since the sort of Disney Fox, uh, you know, acquisition thing and just saying, oh, you know, we're going to see a new Charles Xavier on, on screen. And we're saying about how Patrick Stewart was great, but he was too, he was so nice. You know, he was like, he was like the nice old granddad that everybody just loved. And that's just not who Charles Xavier was like whatsoever. Like he was a manipulative ass a lot of the time, you know, um, but Reed also, uh, so going back to, uh, go back to Reed and we're sort of talking about Reed and um, I don't want to go down this side of the conversation, but somebody was saying about how uh, Dev Patel could be a really good Reed Richards in MCU. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think he'd be fantastic because I think he could play that arrogant, um, 
sort of scientist that, that that sort of thinks he knows best all the time and you know hank's a little bit like that as well isn't it and those guys those three in particular they are like that as people so i guess you need those people to realize how good sort of people like captain america were and you know the other guys it's sort of that's that light and shade isn't there yeah, yeah. well i was really disappointed that uh one of the one thing that disappointed me about quantum media is that i I had heard that William Jackson Harper, uh, the actor who played Chidi on The Good Place, was going to be in Quantumania, and then he shows up in Quantumania as a random telepath, who I don't mm. know if that's even a character from the comics, but a random mm, telepath not. who lives in Subatomica. And I was like, I assumed when I heard William Jackson Harper was going to be in Quantumania that he was going to be Reed Richards. I didn't, yeah, and, same uh, at first. I, I thought that William Jackson Harper would make an amazing Reed Richards. That, same. Rich, you know, because we saw not only was Ch was Chidi's character in the Good Place, he had elements of Reed Richards to him, but also he was really ripped. And there was that one episode of the Good Place where he takes off his shirt, and turns out he's in great shape. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, they're going to cast William Jackson Harper as Reed Richards. That's going to be brilliant. And no, it was just some random psychic dude, yeah. and he only had a little bit of screen time. And I'm like, what a waste! What a waste of William Jackson mm -hmm. Harper. Mm -hmm. it, it seemed like he was kind of uh, a remix of the Micronauts leader a little bit. You could see that, but he wasn't yeah. necessarily tied to the Micronauts leader in the comics. Yeah, I guess Commander Rand did sort of have yeah. psychic powers a little bit when he first appeared. I guess he was, because Marvel doesn't have the rights to Commander Rand, so obviously it, they couldn't use that name. But uh, yeah, like Commander Rand's, I'm rereading those Micronauts comics right now, and uh, he had the psychic link to Biotron and all that. Yeah, that's interesting. I wondered if we were going to get the Micronauts characters that Marvel does own, like Bug and... Um, I guess Marionette, maybe they own. I wondered if they were going to show up in this movie, but they didn't. I also wondered if Psycho Man was going to show up in this movie, but he didn't. Yeah, when when she's when Genesis Subatomic, I was like, they're going to Psycho Man, but then they didn't touch <laughs> on it again. And when she said that, I was like, are they going to have some kind of Fantastic Four tie-in later on? And then yeah. there was some stuff. Uh, Peyton Reed had some interviews he recently. Not Peyton Reed. Um, Jeff Loveness had interviews here with uh, Charles Murphy, uh, Murphy's Murtiverse, and he was saying that. Psycho Man was in the early drafts of the movie. So oh, really? that's where the Subatomica kind of thing came from. Okay. Yeah. Uh, question uh, before we, one second, I'll see, I know you're going to read that out. Question, just really quick one. You're saying you're rereading something now, Matt. Have you got all the physical copies or do you reread it online? No, I, I, I'm gonna, you know, so let me say I have a Marvel Unlimited subscription. I pay for everything I can possibly pay for. I give them every cent of mine that they can possibly take. However, when it comes time to actually reading things, I downloaded every Marvel comic ever in the early days of BitTorrent, back when there was no indication there was ever going to be anything like Marvel. <laughs> and, you know, it's... So you've like got your own Marvel Unlimited, basically. <laughs> yeah, so I <laughs> am Marvel <laughs> Unlimited. <I> am. <laughs> that's, where, that's where our $10 a month is going. <laughs> your bank account. Your um, so I, I have... I own every Marvel comic ever, and uh, I then load them onto my iPad and I read them. So I presume right. that also means you have the ones that aren't going to appear in Marvel Unlimited because they don't have the rights. Things like, you know, uh, Shogun Warriors. <laughs> I have everything. Yes. <laughs> everything. Well, wow. Everything. Nice. Can I ask how big that 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 server has to be to hold all of that? Let me double click on I was going to have a look. Here. He's actually got the, got the numbers. I've got the numbers. Um, let's see. It's 2.67 terabytes. Wow. Wow. 
Never imagined that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Now, is, is that all your comics or is that that's Marvel and DC? So that's okay. that's everybody. Okay. So uh, okay. um, that's a little bit like the uh, four four and a half days to watch all of South Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How big are yeah. all of Marvel comics if you were on file? <laughs> Two well, and a half terabytes. And have you, know, you guys I'm, read Douglas Wolk's book? Have you read uh, Douglas Wolk has written a new book called All of the Marvels, and uh, in which he goes back and rereads every Marvel comic. And uh, it's very good. We had him as a guest on our podcast. You should have him as a guest on your podcast. He is, uh, he is promiscuous in his podcast uh, guest appearances. You, uh, you should probably uh, call him okay. up and you can get him on. And he is the, he is the dude. He is the dude wow. who actually read all I just have the comics. I haven't read the comics. He's, He's read, read the comics. Right, okay. Right, okay. Let's cut you off now and we'll go straight to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> going back to the, yeah. Go, well, anyways, going to the chat here, there's uh, an interesting comment. Actually writing and publishing stuff like that speaks to how ingrained in the culture of society at the time, talking about mm -hmm. the, the toxic masculinity and, and the older comics and stuff. So, yeah. you know, spot on there. Um, and then, you know, going back to Charles Xavier, I thought James McAvoy did a better job mm -hmm. of kind of showing the manipulator kind of dickish yeah. side of Xavier in the later movies than Patrick Stewart did. They, they got the tone better, but it'd be interesting to see if they take that tone further because Xavier is like a master manipulator behind the scenes, kind of that smiling face in, in your face, but doing stuff behind the scenes. So I wonder if they're going to give that tone, whoever they cast in the MCU for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, what I'd like to sort of touch upon now is, yeah, I know you've said that there's stories that, uh, you know, especially phase one to phase three, um, in the MCU has relied heavily on those early days comics. Um, do you see, it, so Fantastic Four, obviously this is happening soon. We know this in, in the MCU. Um, do you see, where do you, having read that early stuff, having known that we've seen two origin stories already of the Fantastic Four on screen in the last sort of 20 years, do you guys think that we're gonna go down that route again? Where do you think that they're gonna get introduced to the MCU? Matt, one thing this is reminding me of is you you were talking about your uh, oh sorry is I'm backwards here there we go you were talking about at one point your idea of how you would introduce a Fantastic Four movie years ago based on the 20th anniversary issue yeah so I've always said that the perfect Fantastic Four movie the issue you should adapt this is one case where I would not adapt a Stan and Jack comic I would adapt Fantastic Four 236 where the Fantastic Four are living a normal suburban life and they have they don't remember ever being the fantastic four and then eventually they realize that dr doom and the puppet master have stuck them as have created little robots of them that are living in this little robot town and but at night they just have dreams in which they're the fantastic four and i'm like i had this idea for a fantastic four movie long before there was an mcu i had this idea for a fantastic four movie i remember back in the year 1999 and i was like because you could save so much money on budget because the whole problem with the Fantastic Four movie at the time was like, you could not afford to have a character like The Thing who was going to be CGI for the whole movie. And I'm like, he's Ben Grimm for most of the movie and he's just having dreams at night in which he's The Thing. And so I still say, even today when we have much bigger budgets and much better CGI, that having the 20th anniversary of the Fantastic Four issue 236 be the basis of a Fantastic Four movie would be the ideal first Fantastic Four movie. But I am greatly looking forward to the MCU's Fantastic Four. I am, you know, I think that the tone was just way off in the previous Fox movies. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because the person who was supposed to make a Fantastic Four movie, 
was Peyton Reed. And Peyton Reed was directed, was attached to that movie for so many years. And I think that he's done a good job on the Ant-Man movies. And I don't, I wonder if there was some thought of like, well, you know, should we just have Peyton Reed go ahead and do it? Because he's in our stable and he's someone we can do. And obviously they've chosen not to do, well, we don't know if they've chosen not to do that. But do they currently have Matt, a director attached? Matt Shackman. Okay, Matt Shackman. Yep. Okay. So, and at first it was John Watts, right? Yep. Yep. And then, then, but, you know, I saw Peyton, there was a Peyton Reed movie not a lot of people saw called Down With Love. And, oh, yeah, I, uh, that. I didn't and, know that was him. That was Peyton Reed, and I saw Down With Love, and I'm like, I want to see this guy do a Fantastic Four movie in the style of Down With Love. I want to see a 60s-style Fantastic Four. You know, and I say I wanted it based on a John Byrne story, but John Byrne was very much doing 60s-style Fantastic Four. And I would love to see, you know, somebody at one point said, and I think this was Peyton Reed, that said the number one movie that would influence his Fantastic Four movie would be A Hard Day's Night. And that you would get the Fantastic Four as the idols of millions, as these very popular people who are always being chased down by their fan club in New York. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to see that movie. I would love to see a Richard Lester, you know, and then of course Richard Lester made A Hard Day's Night would later go on to make Superman 2, uh, which is one of my favorite superhero movies. And um, and Superman 3, which is not, but... Uh, <laughs> I would love to have seen Richard Lester's Fantastic Four. I would love to have seen Peyton Reed's Fantastic Four if it was going to be inspired by Richard Lester. But I totally trust the MCU to kill it with the new Fantastic Four movie. And Matt Chapman, he he was the director for a lot of WandaVision, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. I think he'll. I think WandaVision Which... is my favorite MC is my my favorite aspect of my favorite product of MCU Phase Four was WandaVision. So I think it's in good hands. Which, if they mm -hmm. do that in the style that you talked about, they could take elements of WandaVision. I was going to you know, say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh -huh. That's exactly how WandaVision was. They could do that story just like that and take some of the elements that we saw in WandaVision to put in that Fantastic Four film where, where they're, you know, the, the Pup Masters manipulating them. They're, you know, they don't know who they are, the dreams. That could all be some of the elements pulled from WandaVision. And then mm -hmm. that, would, that would maybe explain where they've been all this time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 Go ahead. Obviously, they're big fans of Hickman. I assume they're going to have a lot of Hickman elements in there. There's been rumors that they're going to have Valeria and yep. um, and Franklin Richards Franklin. in there. Yep. And I think that's good. I think the Hickman run was good. You know, I think one thing that Hickman really focused on is them as explorers, them mm. as people who aren't really superheroes, who aren't fighting evil, who are explorers into odd worlds. And I feel like if Burn. they're going to do that, I mean, Burn that, did that a lot too. You know, one of my favorite yeah. run, one of my favorite sub runs of his was the Negative Zone exploration storyline. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go on back. <laughs> sorry. No, <laughs> I, I totally agree, and I feel like that they um, that I feel like if they're going to focus on them as explorers, they keep they're waited too long because if they're going to explore, I'm going to want them to discover Atlantis. Well, they went ahead and did Atlantis in Black Panther. I'm going to want them to discover Samatomica. Well, they just did some Atomica in uh, Quantumania. Yeah. Like, they keep stepping on the I IP. They want them to they discover keep... the scrolls. Oh, I wait, they've already the scrolls. <laughs> and yeah. they so, discover the Kree. And they discover... <laughs> so, w one thing I keep saying as an idea is that do a Lost in Space-style movie with the Fantastic Four. They've already got their powers. They're out there lost somewhere. Reed is the actual villain, the maker type, for <laughs> the majority of the film before they come together in the end and then end up in present day. Now... One thing we have not discovered yet, or they haven't discovered yet in the MCU, is the negative zone. So they could go that negative zone route, lost in space, 
you know, do all that kind of stuff and, and then kind of get them out and they come into present day or they find them through other means. So they could kind of do that way, but that's the one thing that they haven't explored yet in the MCU. Yeah. Like, we were saying about that. That and Limbo. Being... Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, good one. <laughs> we were yeah. saying about Reed being the, the sort of hero and the villain of the movie but by, by introducing the maker in there, you know, uh, that, that way it's all about him. Yeah. And it makes mm -hmm. sense with the variant thing that they're going down now. Um, look, we're, we're, we're closing we'll, we'll in on that time. Yeah, go on, yeah, go on. So we got from the chat here about the whole, the culture and the writing. And here's an interesting comment, and I'll read both of them first. So there's two comments about this. On the flip side, there is now a power switch that feels undeserved and unearned in the comics, though. Um, as a comics fan, let me put this up there. As a comics fan, it feels entirely uneven. So what are your thoughts on that versus the writing back then to what they're referring to in the present time? Sorry, I'm, I'm not sure. sure I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure I understood, understood the question. Yeah, I think yeah, he's I, referring to the the sort of the, the shift between males and females. Is that what do we do? We think that's what it's talking about. That could be it, or just new the, the new generation of heroes. Maybe you know the, the changing out like you know new Captain America. It could be even. I think. You know, I think the most fascinating thing is going to be these next two Avengers movies, and everything has changed so much. They've spent so much time sort of trying to keep up with the much more diverse modern marvel mm. universe in phase four that then you know it's good the avengers are going to be unrecognizable in these movies you know if presumably it's going to be all the phase four characters showing up in an avengers movie um the phase four and five characters and then how on earth are they going to cram all these characters into a movie yeah. together i guess the marvels will sort of be a dry run for the avengers movies in terms of taking you know these three very disparate characters from these three very disparate these two very disparate shows and, you know, taking characters from WandaVision, Ms. Marvel, and the Captain Marvel movie and trying to make them all work together is going to be a dry run for the Avengers. And, um, but I think it, you know, and then are we going to have, I guess, you know, is, um, is Anthony Mackie's Captain America going to be like one of, is he going to be like the leader of the new Avengers? I can't even imagine. It's going to be, I think they've got a big task in front of them, but I think it's going to be great. You know, I think I would love to see She-Hulk kicking ass in the Avengers. Well, I know yeah. Anthony Mackie has made some comments recently about, you know, he has no powers, you know, he's just a person, this kind of stuff. You know, how could he possibly lead a team? But there's also talk out there is that we'll see an entirely new Avengers lineup that possibly will get defeated in the Kang Dynasty movie that they are hinting at some some deaths as well. So it will be interesting to see how they balance that with all these new characters. If we see any of the old characters brought back as part of Secret Wars um, and how they'll handle that. Um, but then going back to the chat here about that, the same tone and stuff, uh, the same person. I'm all about a healthy mix, but often it feels like comics are starting to preach at us instead of being fun. Oh. So, so. Well, I, I think that it's been fascinating to see them in phase four going like, okay, let's you know, let's tack more in the direction of diversity and, you know, and trying to do it without, you know, without feeling like, you know, it's preachy or without feeling like, you know, it's, uh, I think that, you know, you've had certainly Disney, you know, has, there has been much more mired in culture wars than Marvel has in terms of, you know, people really Please get offended the when there's coach. diversity in Disney movies. <laughs> and Marvel has been offending people less with the diversity in Phase 4, which I think is great. And I think that Marvel has been, you know, has been sort of gently taking racist, sexist America's hand and very gently 
carrying them over the threshold <laughs> into a more diverse <laughs> universe. That's a really and, nice way uh, of putting it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think they've been doing a good job. I think Kevin Feige is a good guy, and he's uh, he has been um, he has been you know starting off with this you know starting off with Stanley's very very white male straight cis hetero world and then going like okay now let's move on out <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, <laughs> let's expand this a little bit and i think it's, it's into been the modern good. day yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and while I'd love to sit here and talk about that, uh, we could go on for another hour and talk about that kind of stuff. And in fact, actually, many more hours. Weeks, <laughs> many more hours. Yeah, many more hours. In fact, cool. we, we've got we've got an episode uh, planned in the future where we're going to talk uh, completely about it. We had a great guest on a few uh, last year, actually, I think it was now. Um, uh, Sean Martin, bro. Um, and he was talking about uh, diversity within comics and in the work that he does and things like that. And that was great. And we're going to hopefully have Sean back on um, to talk about uh, that as a subject. So it might be great to have one or two of you guys back on to talk about that as well with your knowledge base that you've got. That would be uh, really, really interesting. Um, but sadly, we've run out of time today because I know that Steve's certainly got somewhere to be. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, enjoy, enjoy your show but guys before you go where can we catch you what's your podcast called what's the books that you've done that you want people to go out and buy and you know support you with you know plug away <laughs> yeah so our show the, we should say the name of the show is marvel reread club so it's Mar the marvel is it the marvel reread club podcast or just marvel reread club it, podcast? It, the, the, the url is marvel reread club.com but yeah yes. we Yes, but yeah. So, it's so Marvel go to marvelrereadclub.com uh, and you can find our podcast there. You can also find me at Secrets of Story Podcast. Here are my two books uh, The Secrets of Story, Innovative Tools for Perfecting Your Fiction and Captivating Readers. I, well, I should be holding them like this. And, uh, no, <laughs> and The Secrets of Character, Writing a Hero Anyone Will Love. And uh, I try to bring that perspective to it. Yes, Steve, you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I didn't bring uh, some of my latest collections down here to be able to show the things that are currently on sale. But um, the two most recent collections of some of my work I've done for DC, recently published, uh, there's the Books of Magic Omnibus number three or five or something like that. It's a huge telephone book. It retails for like 125 bucks. <laughs> that was the longest job I, I've had in comics before. And uh, so wow. we've got that entire run that I worked on in there with Rich Case, who was a childhood, uh, a, an adolescent favorite of mine, who, you know, I then got to work with in the business, which was a dream come true. And uh, then also the uh, DC just came out with a Dwayne McDuffie uh, sort of greatest hits um, uh, trade paperback. And uh, one of the pages I inked is actually one of the images on the cover of that so it's got the uh the final issue in his run of um of uh uh firestorm uh that i worked on with pop on as the pencil so excellent other than that i've done all sorts of stuff you can find it in some places <laughs> brilliant um look guys like we said it's been a pleasure and i know why that this happens quite often when we have really interesting guests in yeah we don't tend to have lots of comments and questions because they just shut up and listen and that's exactly what's happened today that we've been we've been told that before we're kind of like oh the chat's been really we sort of have a guest on we go yeah you're gonna get asked loads of questions and then it's really quiet and they don't ask any questions and then the reason is people turn around and they go no it's been really interesting we just like listening you know so you can you can take that
that as a compliment the fact that we didn't have many questions because you just people just wanted to listen to you guys but look it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for um uh, for coming on and speaking to us and sharing what you do and uh, it's been really interesting uh, hearing more about that that silver age of comics it's not something that i'm overly familiar with so it's really great to learn some stuff from you guys uh Jari and alex either of you guys want anything to say closing wise no, just uh, I love the chat. Look forward to talking with you guys more. Uh, thank you yeah. for coming on, and I'll definitely be listening to your podcast from the very first episode to kind of go through and listen to because I, I do the same thing. I start a podcast, I start from the very beginning, <laughs> listen all the way through. So definitely, thank you guys. Thank you guys for coming on. It was so great to have you guys to talk about the Silver Age. Yeah, fantastic. Um, from the chat, real quick. Uh, thank you for coming on today, guys. Had a great time. I did enjoy listening. Hope to see you back sometime. So that's yeah, from the audience. Come back. Definitely, yeah. we can we can arrange that. We can arrange that for sure. Yeah, this has uh, been tons of fun. Yeah, no, it's yeah. been really great. Uh, Matt, Steve, thank you very much. Jara and Alex, as always, it's been a pleasure. Take care. See you next time. Thank you. Okay. See Bye, you guys. guys. Thanks for everything.